You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Welcome to the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Joe. Hi. Hello. Y'all, today's episode, I had so much fun getting to talk to my guest today. We honestly clicked on every level and in so many ways that uh, when you sit down, you don't imagine that you're kind of meeting someone who shares so many interests with you. It was so much fun and I cannot wait for you to hear our conversation because truly this was just a conversation between two friends. But before I let you hear all the fun I had, uh, I wanted to remind y'all to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your shows. If you want to follow us on social, we're on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Feel free to reach out with your questions, comments, and suggestions for future episodes. But without any further delay, let's get into my conversation with Christine Lynn Herman. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by New York Times and indie bestselling author of novels about magic, monsters, and growing up, including All of Us Villains and the Devouring Grey duology. Her new book, The Drowning Summer, is coming out April 9th from Little Brown Books. It's Christine Herman. Christine, welcome. Hello. So happy to be here. So glad to have you here. And I'm really excited to talk about The Drowning Summer. So to start us off, could you please tell me a little bit about it? Of course. Um, So The Drowning Summer is a young adult contemporary fantasy standalone about um, two girls, Mina and Evelyn, who are bound together by this mysterious triple murder that like rocked their town six years ago and kind of destroyed both of their families. Um, And over the course of one summer, they will commune with ghosts, maybe solve the murder and definitely fall in love. You've said all of my favorite words in that sentence. (laughs) It's basically just like the Long Island medium, but bye. (laughs) The Long Island medium, but bye. Goodbye. I'm out. That's perfect. (laughs) You heard it here first, folks. If if you need the Long Island medium, but I I imagine lower hair and bye, but you know. Lower hair, yes. (laughs) So it's it's my favorite combo of both magic in our world or that kind of supernatural element and mystery because we've got a we've got a murder, um, and I love any opportunity to you know help the, the listeners of all types embrace queerness in their life. So you know, love to bring that element in as well. But your your two main characters are former friends who are brought back together. Is that correct? Yeah, they're childhood best friends who were um, torn apart by a bad decision they made after the first 
um, after the like initial aftermath of the murders and mm -hmm. now that they're literally being haunted by their past actions they're forced to work together again oh, literally being haunted I'm like this is just <laughs> making me like uh, like snap for the book I'm like yes I'm ready for it to come out now and of course <laughs> listeners at the time that you're listening to this the book will be out tomorrow um but if, so you've kind of got this setting of real life but magical mystical um and do you have kind of a touchstone in your life or in pop culture that kind of inspired these characters and inspired this storyline yes so um, as i mentioned it's set on long island which is where my family is from i mixed ah. the setting together from three towns that my family is from um <laughs> and I also kind of drew on, I mean, I've, I've always loved like paranormal stuff, cult movies mm -hmm. like The Craft, um, paranormal TV like Buffy, and more mm -hmm. recently stuff like, I mean, it's definitely very imperfect, but I kind of enjoyed Sabrina and I feel like it's a fair comp. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna say that like Riverdale, similarly, I, I kind of actually love Riverdale secretly. I feel like that's a fair comp too. It can be, but it's also, there's also like a real focus on like um, climate change stuff because, and it's built into the magic system as well. Um, oh. And so that is also like a personal thing for me because the like beaches I grew up on are eroding now, the community's changing, the like ecology is changing. Um, right. And so I truly wanted to blend the real and the supernatural. I feel like um, it can be really difficult to marry seemingly disparate elements but I see a contemporary fantasy as kind of like the world, but with something just like like a little, the dial twisted a little to the left. And it's not yes. really that hard to do, especially in a world where we kind of have like all of this technology and all of this power at our fingertips, but we're kind of helpless in the face of like bigger machinations. I like the idea of making the bigger machinations something that was a little more manageable, maybe <laughs> something that the main characters actually had some control over. Absolutely. No, and that sounds that sounds beautiful. Um, so to kind of touch on, you've combined several towns that you were exposed to growing up. The Drowning Summer takes place in an idyllic Long Island town. And so how did your experiences growing up kind of, do you, what is your relationship to the setting is probably my real question. <laughs> like, um, yeah, <laughs> that's very fair. Um, so I, I moved around a lot as a kid, but I spent like six years on Long Island at that time. And my family, one side of it is very much from there, like has lived there for like, various branches have lived there for almost a hundred years. Um, yeah, um, which is a long time to be on Long Island. Um, and I very specifically was very close with my grandmother who passed away while I was um, initially writing the proposal for this oh, book. Wow. It's dedicated to her. She oh, wow. was um, very Italian American, very Christian, but also very witchy. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of drew on a lot of the like superstitions and stuff that she would talk to me about when I was creating like the medium magic for the book and also tying it so closely, like I said, to the ocean and to the moon and to the way those things are changing with like climate change and stuff like that. And also Absolutely. obviously the themes of like death and like kind of trying to like move on from something and figure stuff out um, was very personal as well. So actually I have a lot of, a lot of personal connections to the setting. <laughs> it really sounds like it. I, that is, that, that paints a beautiful picture. I, I also was like raised in, in a Catholic family. So the, I, well, or I was raised in a Catholic family. So the idea of a very kind of like 
religious but mystical on the other side of it like you know not afraid of the ghosts not afraid of the you know the talk of the the other side of the world that you don't see that you kind of really only see in those like christian italian communities that you see in the yeah, like, catholic yeah. irish so the blend of Absolutely. that really speaks um, and to I- me I did take the Catholicism out in the book because I was like, I'm not trying to offend anybody. Um, and Absolutely. I don't, I don't want to tread somewhere that like, I don't really go anymore. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was also really cool to look back at those elements of stuff that like, I really like ate up as a kid and that mm-hmm. kind of influenced my adulthood and play with it um, and like put it into Absolutely. this world. I mean, you said it with your inspiration being kind of Sabrina. Hello, I was obsessed. You said Buffy. I would say Charmed, but uh, you know. Charmed is fair, actually. I just haven't <laughs> seen a lot of Charmed. I've only seen like a few episodes here and there, so I feel oh, less fully. qualified. <laughs> but same energy anyway. <laughs> now, how did you decide on a 16-year-old medium? I feel like we've we've got all of the elements floating around from what you've said, what you've kind of mentioned so far, but how did you get to the point where, you know, like Mina is from a family of mediums, correct? Yeah. Okay. Correct. Um, so I, I got to Mina because um, I knew obviously that it was a young adult novel, so I was <laughs> going to write about teenagers, but I also sure. wanted to write about... Um, I wanted to write about like I've I've written contemporary fantasy books before, but they're about mm-hmm. like spooky woods, and I knew I wanted to write about a spooky <laughs> ocean this time. Love it. Um, and I also knew that like um, a way to kind of kind of a lens um, on these murders that I wanted was somebody who had kind of been um, tangential to them, but like had to kind of deal with death anyway on like a daily basis had to have like a really unique relationship with it and that meant a medium initially Mm -hmm. actually they were witches but um my my editor at the time astutely pointed out that the only thing they did was talk to the dead and she was like maybe they're mediums Christy (laughs) she was correct um and so I was like oh absolutely (laughs) and that's when it all finally clicked into place um and so yeah um the the story centers around Mina who comes from this long line of mediums and Evelyn who doesn't and who kind of gets dragged into everything um sort of against her will at the beginning um but at at the end of the book that's not really a spoiler both of them are mediums I feel like that's right I I feel like from every every summary I read, Evelyn is the one who gets called out first as at the inciting time of the murder or of the murders, she tries to talk to the dead to, to free, it's her father who's being accused of the murders at the yeah. time. Okay. Yeah, they think That's, her dad So did no it. spoilers there, but that is, that is something I believe I read directly from the publisher. I usually, yeah. <laughs> usually I have... Um, the, the luxury of an advanced reader copy, but I was so lucky to get to talk to you last minute. Like we set this up this week. So it's, yeah, it's was, not even on I was delighted when I got yet. the request. <laughs> Thank you for talking to me, even though you haven't read it yet. I, I mean, I literally, I saw the cover and I went, okay. And I read the back of it and I went, without a doubt, this is, this is something I would read. And then the, the, you know, kind of message of is available to talk. And I said, please, this must happen. So, uh, but, but usually I'm, I'm coming in with like, 
I have read all of this page to page and I'm dying for to know more from you. And this time I am the people who are waiting to read it. And I'm like, so I've read everything I could find except for the book. Please, I just, I'm ready for it to be out. Um, oh, it's good. It forces me to not spoil anything. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it keeps me from forcing you to spoil anything. <laughs> now, so do you have any supernatural experiences of your own you'd like to share? Your aesthetic overall is, you know, I went to your website, my favorite kind of aesthetic. It's like beautifully witchy. We've got the phases of the moon. We've got stars in the background. So I, I feel like, you know, we have that kind of kindredness of we're clearly in like with very similar things. Oh, definitely. I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Um, so I, I find, I think there's just like a lot of stuff that um, humans don't understand. Um, I think a lot about how, um, for example, like a cat or a dog is like intelligent enough to have like a basic understanding of the world, but there's all the stuff that they simply cannot comprehend. And I'm like, there is a lot of stuff I cannot comprehend about the universe. Um, I think I don't really like align with any specific set of spiritual beliefs. Um, I'm pretty agnostic. Um, but I do think that there is a lot of, um, a lot of power in like grounding yourself in what works for you, what tools make you happy and whatever, you know, as long as what you believe in isn't hurting anybody else, Absolutely. then I support it. Um, so my, my own supernatural experiences. I wish I could tell you I've seen a ghost. I <laughs> haven't. Still waiting. Um, there, there was definitely when I was a child. Actually, when I was living on Long Island, um, I used to hear this like weird scratching behind my bed at night when I was trying to go to sleep. And for years, I thought it was a ghost, but it was a squirrel infestation. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> I called it the fingernails. It would have been such a good story. <laughs> Such a good story, but I feel like you could still, you know, do like a short story anthology that they all start supernatural and then they end with a very realistic thing like a squirrel infestation. And it'd be (laughs) very Scooby-Doo and it would be so fun to compare that to your other works, which are very much like fully, like you said, spooky woods, spooky ocean. Oh, speaking of Scooby-Doo, don't know if you're familiar with the Hex Girls, but I would also comp them as a thing that is relevant to this book. Am I familiar with the Hex Girls? <laughs> Absolutely. Why did I even ask it like a question? <laughs> no, without um, a doubt. And I, I also um, do read tarot cards. I like that's something I, I kind of picked up along the way. Um, and I find them personally very helpful as like a reflection tool. I think it's cool yeah. to see how I feel about what I've pulled and to look at like my own life and my choices and try and figure out, you know, um, what I'm in control of and what I can try and do or what I don't need to do about what's coming or what's happened, you know? Absolutely. Um, They were like a massive feature in my first um, duology, The Devour and Grey. There were like, I made up my own basically deck of like faux tarot cards. Um, So this time around, I was like, we're avoiding the cards, but but we'll bring in the other elements. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I love that. Uh, I kind of like you said, you don't have any one specific belief. Find that I believe in the universe. If you are doing things that don't harm other people and you're finding a path that allows you to maintain your sense of self and the, the sense of others around you, 
you you really can't go wrong. Um, so so I'm I'm right there with you. And I worked at a museum. I worked uh, I worked weddings. I used to close down the museum at like anywhere between eleven thirty and two thirty in the morning. Um, oh. so I have stories, but that's that's a different conversation entirely. Amazing. And I want to hear about them, but I understand that absolutely we have a limited time. <laughs> Yeah, I, we can absolutely connect about that. There are there are some gems in there. Uh, when you eventually find bones in, in a room, you know that things are happening. Oh my God. Yeah, you have to tell me about this. <laughs> Without a doubt, we will. And Jill and I actually uh, talked about tarot last week uh, where we, we brought up some books. We talked about our experience and I couldn't agree more. For me, it's, you know, a lot of people see it as divination, but I'm with you. It's a uh, I described it at the start of the episode as self-care and um, and it's a great way to check in with yourself and just, you know, like you said, have those references of what am I doing and and what are the things I'm in control of or that are just completely, you know, something I need to accept that I need to walk away from. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like therapy, but you do it by yourself. Um, Without a doubt. Yeah, I, I recently gifted my first tarot deck to one of my younger siblings, um, who's actually very Gen Z. And I annotated the guidebook <laughs> for them and stuff and like mailed it to them because they're still in school. And they were so excited and it was so cute. And I was like, I feel like I've, I've, I've passed something on. I hope it helps. <laughs> Absolutely. And also that you just hit me in such a way with the thought of annotating the guidebook for who you're gifting it to. I, I love the idea of that because you're, you're sharing your your experiences it it's so much more personal than just like this resonated with me for you but then some like you oh yeah I I maybe went a little too hard on it I tabbed it it was (laughs) color-coded so I was actually speaking of tarot I was looking through your Instagram at Christine exists for anyone who wants to follow as well and saw you had decorated your laptop um I of course loved the wheel of fortune sticker with the d20 and I had to oh my gosh are we about to talk about (laughs) D&D I mean that's something that TikTok is getting me into but I'm not quite there yet I do play Magic the Gathering so I have a relationship with dice (laughs) Oh, if you play Magic the Gathering, you will it's love it. It's the same thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, it's kind of the same. I. It's a great place. I feel D&D is amazing. Um, and it's a great place to explore, like, identity and storytelling in, like, a safe right. and communal space. I love that. I feel like a lot of my friends, especially in, like, the queer community, have, like, figured out a lot of stuff while playing various characters. And I think that's amazing and an underrated aspect that. of the game. I really love that. And I, I feel like... Um, I feel like I could be a, a pretty decent dungeon master. I don't know if I could handle the 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 act of creating my character and dealing in response to actions, but I feel like I could, uh, that would probably be my realm of writing, crafting the land and just laying it out for friends. So I mean, that's we'll the hardest posted. person to find. So I highly, that if, if you want to become a if DM. I'm compelled, <laughs> <laughs> if that's the calling I'm receiving today, I should probably pick up the phone is what you're saying. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, I love that. No, um, that actually, your your point of identity conversations, I think what I relate to as a queer person with the use of magic as storytelling, you know, especially in this book, specifically young people discovering their mediumship, it's such a beautiful parallel to discovering your identity. And, you know, 
the the bisexuality that you present in this coming to light at the same time that they're navigating their, for lack of a better word, powers, their gift. And I, I find that really appealing. Do did that did that help the process of navigating their romance, knowing that they were also unpacking so much else in their life? Yeah, it, it definitely did. I like to write about teenagers who, you know, are are what are how did I used to say this? Like <laughs> not like casually queer exactly, but who like yes. are they know they know who they are, but they're still they're teenagers, and so they're figuring stuff out. And I also right. think that as as a bi person, um, it can be really complicated to figure out that facet of your own identity. Um, I wanted to give I wanted both of the girls to be bi because I wanted to show different facets of that experience. One of them, yeah. Evelyn, has an ex boyfriend who's actually relatively important to the plot, um, and kind of oh. winds up as their himbo third wheel at a certain point in the book. <laughs> um, I love it. And um, so she has been called like a, a fake bisexual person um, mm -hmm. because she's dated a guy and Mina's never dated anybody but knows how she feels. And so she is also like, am I, am I queer enough? Is this valid? And they've both got like different thoughts about it. They talk about it a couple of times. I didn't want it to be the, the biggest theme in the book because there's a lot going on here, but I did want it to be present because it felt authentic to my well, authentic is kind of a complicated term because I don't really believe that's something anyone should be able to say universally <laughs> about an experience. But right. it's um, extremely relatable to what I went through. And I, I also feel like things have changed a lot in a really short amount of time oh for um, young people, um, at least in some parts of the country. Um, and I really love that. I think it's really cool. I felt like I couldn't talk about my identity until I started coming out to people when I was like 20 or 21. But I knew from the time I was like 14 or 15. Um, and I, I have so a lot of friends who figure a lot of stuff out later in life. Um, and it's it's just very cool to be able to write about teenagers who can talk about this stuff and not feel like it's some fantasy, feel like it's realistic. Like I've seen how different it is for my younger siblings um, and how different it is in general. Um, and that's really awesome. So I, I love being really able is. to write about it and feel like I wasn't writing weird wish fulfillment. Like <laughs> that's just how they, that's how they get to be. From everything I've, uh, that I've kind of glimpsed through it, does not feel even slightly like wish fulfillment. It, it feels, not to use the A word, but authentic. It feels like it comes from a place of reality. And I'm so, I'm not jealous. I'm so happy for the generations, especially like East and West Coast here in the US, um, but yeah. you know, in beautiful pockets throughout our, our country that they have exactly what you described, that they know who they are, and that they're not afraid to explore other sides of, you know, of potential identities for themselves that like, yeah, whoever I dated doesn't necessarily dictate who I'll date in the future. And, um, and also the ability to bring in the erasure that the bi community experiences. Yeah. And I also feel that it's, it's more important than ever to, um, I mean, to talk about this stuff, especially with all of the book bannings going on, the legislation, mm -hmm. um, stuff hits really close to home, obviously, and it right. it is a little scary, but it also makes me more determined to write about um, queer teenagers who are living their lives and are enjoying themselves. I, I love to see it. I, um, I'm, I'm not quite 30 yet, so I definitely feel the 
I, I feel myself aging as I see books come through and I'm like, ah, oh, if this had been there when I was growing up. Um, and, and so just kind of watching the effect as it happens, I, I feel like every time a queer YA book comes across my desk, I love being able to say that now, uh, <laughs> who gets to really say comes across my desk anymore. But when a, a publisher tells me, here are the, the hot books we've got coming and I see that queer YA, I go, yes, Thank you. Um, and I'm so grateful for writers like yourself who are, are creating these spaces. Thank you. Yeah, there's, and there's so much more of it now too. I mean, so gosh, when I first, when I first started writing um, even this book, I was, I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's amazing to feel like I'm really swimming in so many different kinds of queer books and so many different kinds of representation that are more like, a, a little bit like it feels like it started with a very narrow definition of what publishers were kind of willing to take a chance on and now mm. more and more facets of the queer experience and different kinds of intersectionality are being explored and I think it's so absolutely cool. I actually had a, a beautiful book arrive at my house the other day it's a juvenile title I talked about it in our April episode but it's pride and inspirational history of the LGBTQ plus movement by Stella Caldwell well, thank you for taking the time to get the whole title because I'm gonna look that up. I'm always yes. I'm always trying to like find good books that are like good reference points for like queer history mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, when I'm like talking to like you know doing school visits or whatever, if people ask for recommendations, I want them. And and this is designed for young readers. This is designed for the juvenile audience. Um, but it covers, I want to say, like five different icons from the queer canon and then also conversations from people who are active in the community now. So it's a lot of representation of voices and it breaks down just so much. I, it arrived and I was, I, I knew I needed to talk about it before it came. And then when it when it showed up, I was like, oh, yeah, I made the right call because I I, I said it before, I'll say it again, I love books that are accessible to the young age because it means everyone can pick it up when you're an adult Absolutely. trying to exactly when you're an adult trying to understand it's like sitting in a class like you're in high school again and it's a little too um it's a little too inaccessible especially for our allies especially for you know people just trying to navigate their way in and so I'm an advocate for picking up any age range book because it might be what you need to get started or what you need to understand yourself Absolutely. And I, I also feel like a lot of um, a, a lot of queer people go through like kind of like a, almost like a second puberty um, <laughs> where when you figure out who you are, um, especially of like, I think we're about the same age, mm -hmm. um, especially like now there's it's it's just changed a lot in a short amount of time, like I said earlier. And, and so when you figure it all out, you're like, wait a minute, I, I have to like go back and recontextualize <laughs> my own adolescence. And that's why Everything. I think why it can be so powerful for an older audience in addition to being powerful for teenagers. Absolutely. Yeah, I you even sometimes go through it again. I I use the capital Q queer for myself uh, because I discovered I was pan and I was like, that's great. And then at some point when that didn't really fit as well anymore, it's like, oh, well, th there's there's more terms out there. There's better ways to understand yourself. So, yeah, I mean, I I used to use by like indiscriminately. But now that I've realized that um, I use she and they pronouns and I've been figuring some stuff out there over the last few years, Absolutely. I've also started to feel like queer is a much more helpful umbrella term where I'm like, listen, <laughs> I'm still learning about what label I feel most comfortable with. It's, Absolutely. it's complicated, but I've kind of learned to embrace that like 
-hmm. we're still figuring out vocabulary for stuff because people are feeling more comfortable exploring things that don't necessarily fall under one category. And also you're allowed to change your mind. You're allowed to be fluid, you know? Exactly. It doesn't invalidate any experience. It doesn't invalidate anything you've said in the past. You're just all still learning. Absolutely. Now, speaking of still learning, king of transitions here, uh, how how did you learn that you wanted to be a writer? When was your earliest moment that you remember writing or when did you start writing? Um, I am one of those people who's literally wanted to be a writer like my entire life. Um, I... I um pretty much as soon as I learned how to read and I learned that like a person did that I was like oh I'll be doing that um (laughs) and I'm pretty stubborn so um yeah I wrote my first masterwork at age six it is about a squirrel who hibernates and then wakes up and then goes back to sleep squirrels do not hibernate but I did not know that um I'm really being brought up squirrels twice in this interview it's fine um (laughs) But I, I still think it's my finest work, personally. The dramatic irony. Um, it was illustrated. But no, um, I've, I've been trying to write a book, like, pretty much uh, since then. Um, and I wrote my first draft of my first novel when I was 17. It was garbage. It was such a bad book. But I pretty much just wrote a, another book every year until I wrote my debut novel. And I realized amazing. that idea was too good to give up on. And so I didn't do, like, a lot of my homework for, like, the last year of college and just sort of worked on it um and then I I worked um in publishing for a few years while writing more and more and more um and it got, it got published um that is a gross oversimplification of a really complicated process um but yeah I've, I've always wanted to do this and I have yeah I I wouldn't necessarily recommend building your entire life and identity around one goal because <laughs> I've certainly had to unpack that um, as I go through my 20s, but um, I am also really proud of the work that I've done. Absolutely. No, and it, it you can tell that you're a person who your writing is built off of years of practice. Like, it is, you can tell that the energy was always put into it. It was not, it, like, labor of love is, I love a turn of phrase, but like, it, it fits because you spent your childhood writing and illustrating books about squirrels and you spent <laughs> your teen years and then those years in college creating and putting yourself in those spaces. It, it is definitely difficult to go from, I had one goal and that's who I am built around that. But getting yourself into the publishing world sounds like how you started to combat the fact that you're like, I want to be a writer. Oh no, how do writers work? How do writers write? Yep. And also like once your passion, your hobby becomes your job, then you have to learn how to have other hobbies. And that is very, that's a good thing. That's healthy. It is healthy, but it's also a very difficult lesson to learn. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was pretty painful, (laughs) but you know, it's now, now I feel like I've kind of come out on the other side of a lot of that. And I'm really glad that I, um, that I put a lot of effort into trying to figure out things to do with my free time. I actually don't have much free time. I'm pretty much, it's, it's like an inside joke in my friend group that I'm always on deadline. No one even asks anymore. They just assume. Um, but I, I do try to do other things like play way too many video games and, you know, read books for fun. And Absolutely. Like, well, I was working out. I've kind of, you know, been like, oh no, I'm on deadline. <laughs> 
there are more important things to do, right? More, there are there are better hobbies to indulge. What video games are you playing? Um, so I I kind of cycle in between like mm-hmm. a couple of very specific video games. When I like something, I really really like it. Um, I love Stardew Valley. I've played it all the way through like four <laughs> times. Um, and I keep marrying Sebastian, which is very embarrassing. <laughs> um, and then I'm like, well, you can't even marry one of the other 12 characters to marry. Oh, just Sebastian. Over and over. <laughs> um, and then um, I played so much Sims as well, but I, I like to download a bunch of mods and play out like really elaborate stories and like do of all course. these weird challenges. I find it very creatively stimulating. Obviously, I um, also, oh, I was going to say I play D&D, but that's not a video game. Um, so? <laughs> And I also love um, Fire Emblem Three Houses, which is a fantastic, like, long-form oh. um, kind of battle strategy game, but with, like, a really strong storytelling element. And it's got, like, three and a half different routes that you can play. So you can play the game through multiple times and tell oh. a totally different story, depending on, like, which big path you pick, which I really like. It's um, really cool. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, it will kind of mess you up if you're a person who gets, like, really attached to fictional Fair. characters. <laughs> Good so morning. <laughs> warn you but i loved it so much um i still think about it all the time and i did my last playthrough like eight or nine months ago oh wow yeah my relationship with fire emblem is as a super smash player so i oh my god there's so many of them there i have (laughs) also played smash oh and then um this reminds me i also love undertale like i love undertale i could see that that makes a ton of sense yeah (laughs) I love it. Um, so I guess I'll start to wind us down. So I'll, this is where I start to throw out the fun as if we haven't already been having fun, but this is where I throw out the like more nonsensical questions. I'll, I'll bring us back full circle to tarot. Is there a card that stands out or is special to you? Yeah, um, I used to pull the Queen of Wands all the time. Um, and I feel very connected to that card um, for a lot of reasons, obviously. Um, it's a card that's about like, I mean, fiery, passionate, charismatic creativity. Um, and, you know, it depends on how you feel about the court cards, if you feel that they represent like a specific person or not. But obviously, I, especially when I first started playing, it was like, this is me, um, because Absolutely. who doesn't want to be the Queen of Wands? But also, I love the iconography on it um, in, like, the traditional Rider Waite deck and also in, like, a lot of different interpretations of that deck. Um, the, like, cat, the sunflowers, sunflowers are my favorite. Um, and obviously, I love cats. I have one. I was worried she was going to make a, an unwelcome guest appearance, but she's behaved herself. Um, and I don't know. I just, I, I've always felt connected to that card. And I've also had, when friends do readings for me with their own decks, they'll pull that card also, which is super spooky. I love it. Yeah. That's how you know that that is that is your card, uh, without a doubt. If other people are pulling it, you know that's the case. Oh yeah. Uh, for me, I always seem to be drawn to the Wheel of Fortune and the High Priestess. And interesting. Yes, I have uh, the wheel is tattooed here. Um, amazing. And I and it's it's just actually the the wheel, the center part wrapped around uh, with an Ouroboros wrapped around it. So whatever you want to interpret from that. Um, love a good snake also oh there is a absolutely. snake in the drowning summer I forgot to plug the snake <laughs> please <laughs> please plug the snake we've um, already Evelyn's talked about wildlife like a... right 
Evelyn's like kind of a weird, um, a, a weird reptile girl. I mean, she she loves like wildlife ecology in general. Um, she's the one who's like really worried about climate change, justifiably so, I think. Um, but she has a pet snake um, whose name is Clara, and she's so cute. I do not have a snake, but I have Loki always wanted one. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, this this is the wish fulfillment part of the book. <laughs> exactly. I appreciate the reptile girl energy, like. <sighs> I'd I'd love to have a friend who had a snake is probably how I'd say it. Like, yes, yeah. like go on a visit, be like, wow, what an experience. But to take care of it, I think is a, is a touch beyond my my sensibilities. <laughs> it's it's a lot. Um, I used to volunteer at like a, a nature sanctuary again on Long Island. Um, oh, still comes back to Long Island, and I drew on a lot of that <laughs> um, for Avalyn. Yeah, um, and it's it's like a lot to you know feed an animal another animal. Um, you learn a lot about life and death. Uh, yeah, talk about a cycle there. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I can't imagine. Ooh, that's that's where the snake. That's where snakes give me the chills. But uh, such fascinating creatures. They don't have legs. Why do they move like that? Uh- <laughs> Those are great questions. It's a little concerning that they don't have legs. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, growing up, did you have a favorite book series or book? It- childhood, YA, anything that stands out to you or that you always find yourself thinking back to? Yeah, um, my favorite like middle grade novel, I guess, is um, Howl's Moving Castle. I <gasps> love, I it. love Diana Wynne-Jones. Stop <laughs> it. Do you love Howl's Moving <laughs> yes! Castle? Yes. Are we the same person? We might be. It's the <laughs> book I probably, there are two things I probably bring up too often on this show and it's any opportunity to bring up Charmed and any opportunity to bring up Howl's Moving Castle. <laughs> I love that book so much. I've probably read it like 15 times. I think it's perfect. And I've also read a ton of Diana Wynne Jones' other stuff. I Mm -hmm. love her like satirical adult fantasies and her super smart like YA and middle grade books. I think she was a genius. And um, one of the things that makes me really sad is that I had always wanted to meet her and she died when I was a teenager. And I I was like, man, I'll never be able to tell her that she like shaped my little brain. Like a a true uh, master of the craft. A hundred percent. And of course, I'm also Studio Ghibli trash. So I love the oh, yeah. Moving Castle. <laughs> I not to bring up more tattoos, but Calcifer is on my leg as lo- as well as the uh, Witch of the Wastes curse from the movie. Oh, and that's so cool. And then the symbols that Howell uses to move the castle. Uh, yeah, I'm, I've, I've... I love all of this. Wow. Um, yeah, I I have always been particularly attached to the character of Calcifer. I thought that the mm. the entire conceit of like the fire demon, I always like cry at the end. Um, I guess right. I'm about to spoil a very old book, but when he he gets freed and he's like, I can leave, then he just comes right back. Right like, back. Oh. It's Incredible. it is such a it's such a true moment that you're like. I should be scared of you because the word demon in my brain always, you know, wants to trigger a fear response. But this is a fire demon who I don't really think wants to be a demon. They want to be like, they're demonic in the sense that he's a trickster at at best. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah like, such hmm. a compelling character. And he's the, he's the glue. He holds the castle together. He holds the, the characters together. Absolutely. And I've always been so fond of Sophie as well. And the fact that I actually love like a Sophie and Howl romance dynamic a lot. Um, I also feel like, honestly, Howl was kind of like looking back, kind of a gender awakening thing too. I was like, Mm -hmm. I love the way that Howl is like, 
a, a man, but like does all of these things that I have always associated with femininity. And this is making me think really differently about gender as a performance and what it actually means and how all of that right. works. I also love that he's really high maintenance and Sophie's really <laughs> sensible. And she's like, can you, can you not do this cursed thing? And he's like, I'm doing it. But then it turns out she's the one who's doing the curse on herself. Sorry. I could talk about Howl's Moving Castle for hours. And so I would. Me, me too. <laughs> me but too. it is perfect. It's a perfect I... book. So, um, I, I fully meant to bring up all of us villains. I'll I'll throw in a, a deep question here in the in the final in the final moments. What is it like to co-write with someone, especially someone who's your friend and also your critique partner? Yeah, uh, Amanda's my best friend, so it was obviously like co-writing comes with it's really different than writing a book solo. Mm -hmm. So it comes with its own unique learning curve, and in some ways, I felt like I had to learn how to write all over again but I love co-writing with her. Um, I think that it's a really special like relationship to be able to have with somebody else, to have that much creative trust and sure. all of that like mutual like vision to understand the book together. Often like for me, writing a book feels like I'm holding something really complicated. Like I'm mm -hmm. trying to like untie a giant knot in the back of my head at all times. And with her, it's like, we're holding it together. I love that. Um, oh. I'm not really like, I was, I was never much for group projects as a kid. Um, <laughs> they always stressed me out. Um, but I, I like doing the big group project with her. That's <laughs> super cool. That yeah. makes so much sense. <laughs> you just have to find the right partner. Um, are you binge watching anything right now? I know time is a precious commodity, but Ooh. we all make time for it. Um, so I just finished Our Flag Means Death on HBO. Um, Everyone should watch this show. Okay. It's incredible. It's um it's about gay pirates and it's perfect. If if you were like I'm ready. a <laughs> Tumblr kid from like what? 2010 to 2013 or 14, mm -hmm. you have to watch this show. <laughs> you just have to. It's perfect. Oh my god. I feel like I'm putting myself on blast by admitting to the fact that I was a Tumblr kid in that range, but yes. <laughs> it's okay. This okay. is a safe space. <laughs> Apparently it is. Um, now is also when I feel like I have to say that I'm with you in the like, I secretly love Riverdale because what is happening? Uh <laughs> it's just, it's, it knows that it's completely nonsensical. It's such an absolute nightmare on so many levels. Like, I, I don't know if I would recommend it, but I, I definitely also love telling people about the stuff that's happened on it because they don't believe me. They're like, you're making this up. This isn't real. And I'm like, no, it all happened. Exactly. Their ridiculous name for the drug they all do. Like, everything. oh my gosh, everything. What is your go-to delivery order? Um, I think probably burritos. I love a good burrito. Absolutely <laughs> can't food. go wrong. Can't go wrong. I don't think a burrito will ever let you down. No, absolutely and, not. And do you have music on when you're writing? And if so, what? Um, I don't write with music on because I like like to be able to focus, but I do make playlists for all of my books. Um, oh. and I I listen to them when I'm brainstorming um, okay. or when I'm like walking around, like thinking about the characters. So, so they get a lot of play. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of like Haley Kiyoko on um, the Drowning Summer playlist because when of I was course. writing that book, um, <laughs> all I did was listen to as much gay music as possible. Um, Love that. Okay. So it's, it's definitely, a, it's a blend. You've got 
the vibe picked out and curated for while you're in the planning process. I love that. Well, I guess I shouldn't keep you too much longer, but do you have any final things you'd like our listeners to know about the drowning summer? I think what I like about the drowning summer and the way that it talks about ghosts is I feel like you can be haunted both by, you know, the living and the dead. Um, And I think I like to think anyway, that in a lot of ways, that's what the book's about. And also how you can haunt yourself, or you can be haunted by a past version of yourself. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that. That's what a what a beautiful thought to leave us on. Um, I try. Uh, Christine, any other uh, any other things you'd like to promote? I believe uh, the next title, All of Our Demise, is coming out August 30th. Um, That's correct. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> good, good memory. Um, yeah, All of Our Demise, the second and final book in the All of Us Villains duology, comes out on August 30th. All of Us Villains is um, a the Hunger Games with magic, but set in like a modern second world analog fantasy. Um, it's a complete disaster. Every character is a nightmare. Um, <laughs> there are also terrible bisexuals in it. Um, and it's a real blast to read, which is a weird thing to say about a death tournament book, but I promise it's actually a lot of fun. I love that. I can't, I cannot wait. Um, and other than uh, Christine exists on Instagram, anywhere else our folks at home can catch with you online. Um, you can always check out my website, but that's pretty much my only presence. I try to kind of Perfect. keep it low key. Hey, uh, I think that's probably safe. <laughs> probably smart. <laughs> gotta gotta manage where your energies are being directed. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Christine, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Truly a pleasure. And remember, The Drowning Summer comes out April 19th from Little Brown Books. Uh, Make sure you check it out wherever you get your books uh, and also in Libby. Um, Thank you again to Christine and thank you all for listening. So happy reading. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly, and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Science! 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 Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist Podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes! Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes! Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes... Yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast.